Welcome, my fellow patriots, to the Patriot Lessons American History and Civics Podcast, where we renew the spirit of America by learning about what makes America the greatest nation in world history, including our founding first principles, key documents and speeches, founding fathers and other great patriots, and flags and other key symbols of America. I am Oakland County Circuit Court Judge Michael Warren, co-creator of Patriot Week, constitutional law professor at Western Michigan University Cooley Law School, and I was just named Judge of the Decade by the International Association of Top Professionals. Pretty cool if I have to say so myself. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode begins our detailed review of the Declaration of Independence. If you missed last week's episode, I recited the entire Declaration. Beginning with this episode, I will be examining each sentence of our Declaration so that we can understand the foundation of our freedoms and liberties. We are the most unique country in human history because at our birth, we were the first to actually lay out in writing our origins, purpose, and founding first principles in a document that all could read. And unlike some other nations that have done the same thing since then, we actually take our Declaration seriously. If you know anything about the Declaration of Independence, your first impulse might be to begin with the first full paragraph, which begins, quote, When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands that have connected them with another, unquote. But not so fast. Actually, the first words of the Declaration, what we might call the title or introduction, is as follows. Quote, In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, unquote. This introduction is vitally important to our history and the importance of the Declaration. It is also something that is almost entirely ignored by historians. It also includes some sleight of hand here by the Founding Fathers, and we will get to that as well. But first, let's go through the introduction in reversed order. First, there is a date, July 4th, 1776. Most Americans equate July 4th, 1776 as the date that we declared independence. But actually, that is not quite right. Now, there are volumes upon volumes written by those of the founding generation and historians and political scientists ever since which debate when the American Revolution occurred and when it was inevitable. After all, July 4th, 1776 did not simply spring up on the calendar and we declared, voila, independence. Many, for example, claim that colonial resistance to the passage of the Stamp Act by Parliament in 1765 was the beginning of the revolution. The Stamp Act imposed direct taxes in the colonies without the consent of the colonial legislatures. This tax was seen as an affront to the rights of Englishmen to be taxed only with representation. Patrick Henry was then a newly elected delegate in the House of Burgesses, which was Virginia's elected legislative assembly. The senior ruling class was not interested in stirring up trouble and wanted to proceed with a cautious wait-and-see attitude. Henry ignored them, 
vigorously opposed the Stamp Act and convinced the House to pass a series of blistering attacks on the Act. The claim that Henry's actions here have a direct line to the American Revolution is a very strong one. However, others claim that the spirit of the Revolution began even earlier, in 1761, with opposition to Great Britain's general writs of assistance. These writs basically allowed unlimited searches and seizures of colonial homes and businesses in an attempt to crack down on smuggling. This opposition was led by James Otis, who had originally been the government lawyer in charge of defending the writs from legal attack. Instead, he quit his office and then sued the government, claiming that the writs violated England's unwritten constitution. He gave a dramatic argument attacking the writs. John Adams wrote, quote, The child of independence was then and there born. Every man of an immense crowded audience appeared to me to go away as I did, ready to take arms against writs of assistance. Unquote. Still others might argue that the revolution was not inevitable until the first battles of Lexington and Concord, or even the Battle of Bunker Hill, all of which occurred in 1775. John Adams offered perhaps the most accurate and yet least precise answer. Quote, what do we mean by the revolution? The war? That was no part of the revolution. It was only an effect and consequence of it. The revolution was in the minds of the people, and this was affected from 1760 to 1776, in the course of 15 years before a drop of blood was shed at Lexington. Unquote. But we are going to put those arguments to the side for the moment. What I'm referring to is the legal separation, or perhaps better phrased, the political separation of the colonies from the English Empire. That did not happen on July 4th, 1776. That actually happened on July 2nd, 1776. That isn't the answer you might remember from American history or civics classes. Now, how can that be? By necessity, I must reduce an extraordinarily interesting and complex situation to a few high-level details. The British Empire engaged in a series of oppressive actions that violated the unalienable rights of the colonists, rights which they believed they possessed as Englishmen. Those series of oppressive actions, otherwise dubbed a long train of abuses and usurpations in the Declaration, will be reviewed in detail in future episodes of this podcast. And it's not just taxation without representation, not by a long shot. To oppose these abuses and usurpations, the colonists eventually created a Congress with representatives from throughout the colonies. More specifically, representatives of 12 of the 13 colonies met from September 5th to October 26, 1774, at Carpenter's Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Congress, in essence, was a new government at the national level, which was organizing the resistance of the colonies and attempting to govern the country in lieu of British control. Before Congress, the colonies were governed by the British government, based in England, the legislative body was the Parliament, which sat and still does in London. The Parliament is composed of a hereditary House of Lords, along with an elected House of Commons. No one from the colonies served in the Parliament. The executive branch was headed by a hereditary king, and he ruled over all the lands composing the British Empire, including colonies overseas. On the other hand, the American colonies had their own legislative assemblies elected by the colonists, and governors typically appointed by the Crown. Through an unofficial policy, often dubbed salutary neglect, the colonies were pretty much left to govern their own internal affairs, with the important exception of trade policy. As an aside, even the most adamant patriots in the colonies agreed that Great Britain had the legal right to regulate trade between England and the colonies, and the colonies and other world powers. There was no issue of taxation without representation when the laws involved such trade. 
but the English overstepped their lawful authority by taxing goods and services within the colonies. That there is no taxation without representation was a bedrock principle being violated by the British. And that was just the beginning. Again, we will address the long train of abuses and usurpations in future episodes. Even with the formation of Congress, the colonies, led by their legislatures, governed their own internal affairs. Congress focused on raising an army, fighting the war, diplomacy, and international relations. Congress, in essence, stepped into the shoes of king and parliament. A second Continental Congress was convened, and it is this Congress that the Declaration of Independence refers to in its introduction. The Second Continental Congress began meeting on May 10, 1775, again at Carpenter's Hall in Philadelphia. And again, we must gloss over much of the detail. But on June 7, 1776, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia proposed that the colonies should become free and independent states from the British Empire. However, Congress needed the resolution to be unanimous, and New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, and South Carolina wanted some time to consider the resolution. Most everyone understood that these colonies would be in a position to approve the resolution with just a short postponement. As such, on June 11th, Congress postponed consideration of the resolution until July 1st. When the postponement was approved, the Congress appointed a committee of five to draft an explanation of why independence was necessary. The committee consisted of Robert Livingston of New York, Roger Sherman of Connecticut, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, John Adams of Massachusetts, and Thomas Jefferson of Virginia. In 1774, Jefferson had written a summary view of the rights of America. The summary view was an engaging, illuminating, and devastating attack on continued British rule in the colonies. It had been circulated at the First Continental Congress, and Jefferson was acknowledged as a writer and thinker of the First Order. Franklin and Adams were also brilliant thinkers and writers, but Franklin was very old. Adams, who was the strongest driving force for revolution in the country, deferred to Jefferson to draft the Declaration of Independence. Adams later wrote that he told Jefferson that Jefferson needed to write it because, quote, reason first, you are a Virginian, and a Virginian ought to appear at the head of this business. Reason second, I am obnoxious, suspected, and unpopular. You are very much otherwise. Reason third, you can write ten times better than I can, unquote. Adams wanted Virginia to be in the lead because it was the largest colony, it was geographically in the middle of the colonies, and because those in Virginia were seen as less personally invested in the revolution, thereby making the cause about higher rights and principles than petty local concerns. Massachusetts had been the center of the revolution agitation, and it was best for the cause that the revolution be led by others. Jefferson shared a short draft of the declaration with each of Franklin and Adams, he incorporated whatever comments they had, what exactly these were has been lost to history, and on June 28th, Jefferson presented a rough draft of the Declaration to Congress. On July 1st, 1776, Congress started to consider Richard Henry Lee's resolution. Lee was from Virginia, and his lead follows Adams' desire that Virginia take the first position for independence. Adams seconded the resolution. Adams was clearly the person most responsible for convincing Congress to adopt independence including persuading and cajoling congressmen one-on-one, as well as giving a speech of the ages in favor of revolution during the debate. It was so powerful, people stood up when he talked, and the clerk dropped his quill. We've lost the speech to history. He was so indispensable that Jefferson dubbed him the Colossus of Independence. The resolution reads as follows, quote, 
that these United Colonies are, and of right, ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from allegiance to the British Crown, and all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, unquote. The resolution passed on July 2nd. As such, America legally and politically became independent on that date. Even if he was obnoxious and unpopular, Adams won the day. The very next day, Adams wrote to his wife Abigail that the anniversary of independence would be marked by, quote, pomp and parade, shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of the continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized, unquote. Adam's prediction came to pass. Independence Day is still marked with parades and games and fireworks. But he ended up being wrong about two major points. First, the celebrations center not on July 2nd, but on July 4th. That is because the Declaration of Independence, as opposed to the Resolution of Independence, was officially adopted and announced on July 4th. And because the Declaration is such a magnificent document, it has overshadowed the functional and somewhat perfunctory resolution. Second, July 4th is hardly solemn. In fact, it has long ago been drained of any true meaning. It has been commercialized and hollowed out as a time for barbecues and hot dogs and appliance sales. In fact, this overarching trend of gutting out the true meaning of all of our civic holidays is why my then 10-year-old daughter pounded on the table and demanded a new celebration for America, and hence the creation of Patriot Week. And we'll have an episode on Patriot Week soon enough, but consider this as just a tiny preview. You can learn more yourself by visiting PatriotWeek.org. Now back to the Declaration. Jefferson's draft of the Declaration was debated beginning right after the Resolution of Independence was passed all day on July 3rd, and through the morning of July 4th. We're starting to make some sense of this. We know now that the Declaration was adopted on July 4th, but independence was effectuated on July 2nd. We've also covered that Congress, the Second Continental Congress in particular, adopted the Declaration, and we understand Congress's role. Notice the Declaration also refers to the 13 United States of America. Although there was a Congress, and although all 13 colonies were represented in the Congress, there was just an inkling of a freestanding United Nation. Each colony had been established in a separate fashion and had a unique history. Before July 2nd, 1776, everyone in the colonies was English. Until the resistance to the long train of abuses and usurpations, the colonies hardly ever cooperated with each other or coordinated policy. Moreover, we cannot overlook that on July 2nd, the colonies became states. In essence, each colony became its own nation. There is no subservience to an empire and no other master whatsoever. The resolution of independence from July 2nd did not change the reality that the colonies, now states, were almost entirely independent of each other. There was no overarching government that could bind a state against its will. Necessity birthed the Congress, but Congress really had no authority over any state. The Congress is more of a compact, a coalition of independent states acting in concert to oppose British oppression. There was no executive at all. There was no emperor or king or president or prime minister. There was no court. The Congress could only act if all 13 states agreed, and then it was up to each state to fulfill its promises. There is no central or national government to enforce the acts of Congress. That is why the phrase, quote, the United States of America in Congress, unquote, has that phraseology. We refer to ourselves today as the United States of America. We don't say the 50 United States of America. And we refer to Congress 
of the United States of America, not the, quote, 13 United States in Congress, unquote. The difference seems subtle, but it is of profound importance. How profound is revealed and how difficult the American Revolution was to fight and manage because every decision required 13 different states to agree and coordinate, and in the aftermath of the war, the 13 states went 13 ways. But that's for another episode. I'm still trying to get through the first line of the Declaration of Independence. Okay, so now we understand the date, July 4th, that there's a Congress, that the 13 states are in Congress, and that this is a declaration, not a resolution of independence. The last item is the first few words. It is the, quote, unanimous, unquote, declaration. But is it? Kind of. Beginning on July 2nd, the Congress debated the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson's draft was reviewed paragraph by paragraph, line by line, word by word. Congress made a number of changes. We'll examine some of the changes in future episodes. Some were grammatical, some were for readability or precision, others were more fundamental. For example, Jefferson had written a passage condemning the king for allowing the slave trade. That passage was entirely struck when Georgia and South Carolina objected. Reports reveal that Jefferson seemed to take each change to the declaration made by Congress as if his body was physically being cut. Adams tried his best and defended Jefferson's first draft vociferously, but in the end, many changes were made. Then on July 4th, the vote occurred. Unanimously, right? Well, 12 of the 13 states approved. The delegates for the 13th state, New York, had not obtained instructions to prove independence. When the Congress postponed consideration of Lee's motion back in June, the other wavering states used the delay to clear the political hurdles to enable them to prove independence. But New York's delegates were not so fortunate. But New York did not oppose independence, it merely abstained, and the argument that the Declaration was unanimous was maintained. So it's not a misrepresentation, but it is a lawyerly way to avoid the hard reality of an abstention. Some key takeaways from this episode. The Declaration of Independence was that a declaration, an explanation, of why the states adopted Richard Henry Lee's Resolution of Independence that passed on July 2nd. The Declaration passed on July 4th. Twelve of the 13 states approved the Declaration and Independence, thereby preserving it as a unanimous document. The colonies were no longer colonies, they were states. The states were independent nations, banded together in Congress, that could only act on matters of foreign relations and only when all the states agreed. Jefferson took a lead role in drafting the Declaration, and Congress modified it significantly. John Adams was the Colossus of Independence. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now on the precipice of the greatest document forged by human hands. Join me next week as we explore the first full sentence of the Declaration of Independence. Quote, When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Unquote. Until then, God bless you. To learn more about our Declaration of Independence, Constitution, American History, and Civics, please subscribe to our podcast. Also visit PatriotWeek.org. Patriot Week was started by my then 10-year-old daughter when she pounded on the table and demanded a new celebration for America. We are now nationwide, 
recently been recognized by the United States Senate in a unanimous resolution, and we really can use your help. You can follow us on Twitter at Patriot Week, on Facebook on our group page, and on Instagram at Patriot Week 1776. If, again, if you're interested in becoming involved in this grassroots effort or have any questions or comments about this podcast or Patriot Week in general, please send us a message on the social media platforms I've mentioned or connect with me directly at mwarren at patriotweek.org. That's M-W-A-R-R-E-N at patriotweek.org. Also consider my book, America's Survival Guide, How to Stop America's Impending Suicide by Reclaiming Our First Principles in History by visiting americasurvivalguide.com. Amazon, or any other online retailer. Until next time, God bless you, and God bless America.